0: Welcome to Houghton Wesleyan Church on this Sunday in Lent, celebrated so beautifully by that song. I I think with the psalmist, my heart was glad when they said, Let us go to the house of the Lord. Let's stand together and do the call to worship. Let us worship God who reconciles us to himself through Christ. Let us worship God as Christ's ambassadors. Let us worship God in spirit and in truth. Let's pray. Give us, our loving God, a sense of your presence as we gather now in your house to worship. Grant us gratitude as we remember your goodness. Grant us penitence as we remember our sins. Grant us joy as we remember your love. And enable us to lift up our hearts in humble prayer and in fervent praise. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.
1: Two uh, announcements that I want to highlight uh, that are in the bulletin besides our regular activities. Next Sunday is Palm Sunday and children will be uh, carrying in palm branches. You see information about that for children to be involved. And also uh, two weeks from today is Easter and we'll be baptizing people Easter morning as we have done for many years. If you would like to be baptized, uh, please let me know today or tomorrow. We'll be having a class later this week. Before you're seated, take a moment, share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today. With the vision of the cross, let us join together in the prayer of confession printed in your bulletin. Let's pray in unison. God, our Lord and creator, we acknowledge that we have sinned against you. Our actions have fallen short of Christ. Our attitudes have not reflected Christ. Our words have not communicated Christ. Christ. We have been more concerned with our own comfort than with our neighbor's pain. We too often use our resources to protect what we want rather than being burdened with compassion for what others need. In our fascination with self, we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. Nevertheless, You have kept faith with us. We ask for your mercy upon us. Strip us of all that is unchristian and help us to live up to our calling. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.
0: The Old Testament reading is found in Psalm 51, uh, excuse me, Isaiah 51, verses 1 to 3. <clears throat> Isaiah 51, listen to me, you who pursue righteousness and who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were cut and to the quarry from which you were hewn. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who gave you birth. When I called him, he was but one. And I blessed him and made him many. The Lord will surely comfort Zion, and will look with compassion on all her ruins. He will make her deserts like Eden, her wastelands like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the sound of singing. This is the word of the Lord. Be Please stand as the ushers come forward. We'll sing the glory of Patry. Loving God, you've blessed us in so many ways, with health to be here, with spirits open to you, with uh, the wherewithal to live in this place, in this time. We pray, Lord, that you accept from us our praise, our money, our time, ourselves, as we give back to you. In Jesus' name, Amen.
1: On the cross, we know the love of God for us, and the love of God calls us, draws us to, to into his presence, and, and invites us to open our hearts to him in prayer. So this morning, as we pray together, if you would like to use the altar rail as a place where you offer your prayers, please come and join me. O sacred head, now wounded, with grief and shame weighed down, now scornfully surrounded with thorns, thine only crown. O sacred head, what glory, what bliss till now was thine. Yet though despised and gory, I joy to call thee mine. What thou, my Lord, hast suffered was all for sinners' gain. Mine, mine was the transgression, but thine the deadly pain. Lo, here I fall, my Savior. Tis I deserve thy place. Look on me with thy favor. Vouchsafe to me thy grace. What language shall I borrow? To thank thee, dearest friend, for this, thy dying sorrow, thy pity without end. Oh, make me thine forever, and should I fainting be, Lord, let me never, never outlive my love to thee. Father we give you thanks for the cross for all that it means that Jesus has come and been lifted up to death we know that you love us we know that you are with us and we hear your call to come and to pour out the burdens of our hearts to you In this moment of silence, hear our prayers. Gracious Father, you know the burdens that we bring today. Praying for those who grieve, for those who are in need of healing, for relationships that are fractured and broken, for feelings of anxiety and fear about the future, for all of the ways in which we struggle as human beings in this world for all of the hurts and pains we lay them before you and we ask for your healing for your grace for your mercy in each one of our lives and those for whom we pray we pray for our world a world that is lost drifting in a sea of violence and war and hate and Fear and anxiety and people who are refugees people who have not even the basic necessities of life people who have been abused and abandoned and disregarded and know nothing of your love we pray Father that you will pour out your spirit and that you will through your people Communicate your love to a world of great need and bring change to our world. Father, we pray for Pope Francis as he embarks on this new task of leading the Catholic Church. Fill him with the spirit of Christ. We pray, Father, for the leaders of all the various denominations of your church around the world. And we pray that the leaders would be filled with the Spirit of Christ. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for your love and mercy upon us. Make us continually aware of your goodness. And we ask all of this through Jesus Christ. Remembering the prayer that he teaches his disciples to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
0: The New Testament reading is found in John 19. John 19, verses 28 to 37. I invite you to stand. Stand with humility before the truth of Jesus' life for us. Later, knowing that all was now completed, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it and put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath, because the Jews did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, They asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers, therefore, came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so so that you also may believe. These things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that it means that Jesus has come and dealt with the offense of our sins. Open our ears and our eyes, our minds, our hearts to know more of you. And we pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. If you've ridden in a car with me for much time, you would know that I'm not a real patient driver. Andrew's laughing. He knows. Uh, You know, I I don't like getting behind people who are going slow. I I don't like, you know, uh, driving on a two-lane road and you can't pass someone because they're going too slow. And for me, too slow is going the speed limit. You know, if, if it's 65, then, you know... 64 is too slow. I saw this week on the Today Show, they had a little panel of people. They were talking about different things. And one of the things they were talking about was a woman this week had gotten a ticket for going two miles under the speed limit. And she would gotten the ticket because she's on interstate and she was in the left-hand lane. And they stopped her. And the panel to a person said, of course she should have gotten a ticket. That's ridiculous. You can't drive that slow in the left-hand lane. For them, it was a matter of, well, it could, you know, it could harm traffic and you know, slow up things. For me, it's like, get out of my way. I got a place to go, and you're, you're blocking me, and you shouldn't be driving in this lane. Well, not too long ago, I read a, about a guy who was sitting at a stoplight, one car in front of him. And the person in front of him, it was obvious he was talking on the cell phone. He was shuffling with papers in the passenger seat next to him, and the light turned green, and he didn't realize it. And so he's still got his head down, looking at things, and the guy behind him is getting really furious. I'm thinking, I, I could see myself in this situation, I guess. And, and he's ha- hitting the steering wheel, and he's slamming the dash, and he's yelling at the guy, and screaming. And, and he's just going ballistic on him, you know, just craziness. And finally, the light turns yellow, and the guy's still sitting there, and he starts hogging his horn. And the guy realizes what's happening, hits the accelerator, and races through the intersection leaving this second person to sit through another red light. Irritated, as you can well imagine. They notice some movement to their left. They turn and look, and they look into the face a barrel of a gun being held by a police officer. And the officer says, "Search off the car, take your hands off the steering wheel, and get out of the car vehicle. He says, all right, so he gets out. You know, he's scared to death. In fact, he's so scared, he doesn't know what to say or ask questions. He's got his hands on the car, he's cuffed taken down to the to police headquarters. He's fingerprinted, booked, photographed, put in a cell. For two hours, he sits in the cell. And after a while, another policeman comes and gets him. And he brings him back to the booking desk. And here's the officer that arrested him. And he has his personal belongings. He says, sir, I'm sorry. It was a misunderstanding. I said, what do you mean it's a misunderstanding? He said, well, you were going so crazy I mean, your language and the things you were doing and trying, you know, just nuts about this guy in front of you. And I looked down and I noticed that you had a bumper sticker on the back of your car that said, follow me to church. And another one that said a little ichthu symbol and all I could figure was that you'd stolen the car. (laughs) Ouch. Isn't it weird how hypocrisy is can be right in front of us and we don't see it. It's in us and we don't see it. We make all these grand claims and, and how often we don't live up to them. And you know there's something about the struggle that we have in, in, in living for, in living as Christians. That we believe that people who are opposed to us, people who have a different opinion than us, people that we judge to be wrong, that we feel justified to treat them any way we want to. We depersonalize people. They're wrong. They're different. They, they have a different perspective. We don't see things the same way. And so, therefore, I can treat them any way I want to. And you see that in, in this story at the, at the end of, of the, the narrative about Christ's crucifixion. Crucifixion is, is this horrific way of punishing criminals. But the Romans know that. They they don't do that by accident. And they don't make it public by accident. The whole point is, what can we do to—to to be that's so horrific and so public and so terrible that other people will look at that and say, maybe I don't want to start a riot. Maybe I don't want to murder this person. Maybe I want to behave myself because I don't want to end up like that. And here you have these three men on a cross, dying. It's Friday, and at the end of that day, as dusk comes upon the, the the Palestine, it begins the Sabbath. And so the religious leaders come to Pilate and they say to him, "Look, we want you to get those guys off the crosses because tomorrow's the Sabbath." Actually. They say to Pilate, we want you to break their legs so that you can take them down. Now, that was a common practice. When you wanted to expedite death, you would break the legs. Take a club or a bar and you would shatter the legs of the people hanging on the cross. Because you would use your legs to hold up your chest and to allow yourself to breathe a little easier. When your legs are broken, you can't do that. And accelerates asphyxiation. And then you have the, the wounds that also cause a lot of bleeding. And, and it just accelerates death. And so they come to Pilate and they say, we want you to accelerate their death. And, and you look at this, you wonder, is it because they're starting to feel bad that these guys are suffering so much? Is it because maybe they're feeling a little bit guilty for what they've done to Jesus? No. The whole point is, tomorrow's the Sabbath. At dusk tonight, the Sabbath starts. And if they are hanging there, that's going to sully our worship. So could you please just get rid of them? Wow. You would think that followers of God might have a little more compassion. But they don't. And part of it is, is the mindset they have about the Sabbath. For them, the Sabbath is the day where you go to temple or you go to synagogue and you, and you do your religious things. And you can see, this is sort of the culmination of what we see in the, in the idea of the Sabbath of the religious leaders throughout the Gospels. In Mark chapter 3, Jesus in in the synagogue on the Sabbath, and a man comes in who has a withered hand. And Jesus looks around and says, so is it Right or wrong to heal on the Sabbath? Is it okay to do good on the Sabbath? And religious leaders don't say anything. So Jesus heals the guy. And Mark tells us that from that moment on, they start plotting to murder Jesus. Because he healed someone on the Sabbath. Luke 13. Jesus again, in in the synagogue, on the Sabbath. And a woman comes in who is crippled. She's been bent over, cannot stand up straight for 18 years. 18 years and Jesus heals her and the response of the synagogue ruler is you can't do that on the Sabbath you got six other days to do that kind of stuff not on the Sabbath what he really is saying is the Sabbath is for worshiping God not for helping people in need And here you see the culmination of their mindset that the Sabbath is about worshiping God. We don't really care about the people who are in need. But here's the truth that all of us have to face. We struggle about being compassionate toward people that we believe are wrong. That we believe are making bad decisions, that we believe are harmful to society. It might be about lifestyle choices that people make, it might be about, about social issues that we disagree with people, it might be a theological disagreement, it might be about the church about what the church should look like or what should be the focus of the church or or what we do as the church. But if we see someone as, as the opposition, we struggle to show compassion toward them. We don't want to condone what they're doing. We don't want to condone their perspective because, after all, we have judged them to be wrong. And if you're wrong, well, you've got to face the consequences of being wrong. If you choose that lifestyle, you face the consequences of it. If that's the, the social decision you're going to make, deal with it. I remember back in the 80s when, when the, the whole issue of AIDS and, and HIV was coming to the forefront of society and culture. I, I was astounded. You know, of course, at, at that time at least in the church, the impression was this was a disease that was limited to people who were homosexual. And far too many people, both sort of on a national stage as well as people that I had one-on-one conversations with, I heard them say, look, that's their problem. And, And they were vehemently opposed to AIDS research, to doing things to help them, I know of people who wrote their congressmen opposing any kind of government help to try to get to try to figure out what was going on with this disease. Why? Because in their mind, if you help them, you're condoning their lifestyle. Can you imagine Jesus saying, I'm not going to help them. They might think I agree with them. And, and we struggle with With trying to believe or trying to be compassionate to people that disagree with us, why is it important to do that? Why is it important to be compassionate because we worship a God who is compassionate it 's his nature. You read through the Old Testament and over and over and over again god says i 'm righteous i 'm holy, I am patient, I am kind." I am loving, I am compassionate to people who don't deserve compassion. The prophecy from Isaiah we read today, the context of that is that he's talking about how Israel has rejected God and they are going to be punished for that and go into exile. And then God comes to them through the prophet and says, but I am going to look with compassion upon your ruins. And I'm going to restore you and I'm going to bring joy back to you. Do they deserve that? Of course not. They've rejected God completely and yet God is compassionate. In Matthew 9, Jesus is, it says Jesus looks out and he saw this crowd, this multitude of people. And he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. These people who are going off, doing their own thing, going their own way... Jesus doesn't say, hey, those are the consequences. That's what happens when you make those kinds of choices. No, he feels compassion for them and he goes to them and he heals them and teaches them and loves them because that's the nature of God. And you and I are called to that same nature, to that same response. And it doesn't mean that we are throwing out the truth, not at all. We hold to the truth. It's just that truth and compassion are not mutually exclusive. When you think about our theology and, and how we tend to frame our doctrine, what we believe, most of it is about, is about who, who God is and what it means for salvation. And, and they're wonderful statements. And we need them. And they're important. And they're foundational. And, and, and we cling to those. But it always interests me that you find very little in our doctrinal statements, if anything, about how we treat each other. It's as though we believe that that how we treat each other is is completely contrary. It has no, no bearing on what we believe. And the reality is how we treat each other, it's not just peripheral to our doctrine. It is central to our doctrine. Because it's central to who God is. But we are so good at separating those things of saying, well, we believe this, and because we believe this, if you disagree with that, then I can't be compassionate to you. And we're wrong. It doesn't have to happen on a grand scale, it doesn't have to be about the great social issues of the day. In fact, often it is proven and it's seen most clearly in just the daily stuff that we do. It's about coming together for worship and letting that affect how we live when we leave this place. And it's understanding that worship is not just getting together as a group of people. It is also about life compassion, when we're not together as a group of people. We need to come together. It's important for us to come together. Worship is essential to our lives as Christians. The call is that worship would go with us. And I think the reason we have a hard time Loving people out there and being compassionate to people out there is because we're not real good about being loving and compassionate in here. We come to worship. Our natural human nature is self-centeredness. We come and think, I want what I want. I want us to do what I want to do. I want it to feel like I want it to feel. I want it to be shaped the way I want it to be shaped. And then we wonder why when we go out in the world, we struggle so much with being self-centered. And the way to be different out there is to be different in here. To be different people when we come to worship, to let worship change us. And to come to worship with a sense of self-sacrifice and surrender instead of self-centeredness. That's hard. It goes against the grain of what's natural to our human nature. But it's the spirit of Christ in us. And as I said, it doesn't happen to have to happen on a grand scale. It can be about small things. In fact, it often is. I don't know if you, if you saw this a month or so ago of this thing going around the internet of a pastor I think it was in uh, Kansas City that was out to eat on a Sunday after church with a group of eight people, and um, she was paying the check. And as often happens when you go to a restaurant and you have that large of a group, they just add the gratuity to your check. So she gets her check and looks down, and it says gratuity added 18%. And she wrote a note on the check that said, I give God 10%, why should I give you 18 and zeroed out the tip line and handed it back to the waitress. Well, another waitress saw it, took a picture of it with her phone, posted it on the internet, and it went viral. And I saw it all over the place, and you probably did as well. To add insult to injury, she called the restaurant when she heard about this and demanded that the waitress be fired. I understand you get backed into a corner. But something about that, you know, it's the struggle of our hearts. It's sad, but I, I read this. I talk to people who have worked in restaurants. Most people hate working Sunday lunch because when the church crowd gets there, they tend to be the rudest, most demanding and least generous with their tips of anybody all week. It's a small thing. It's a little thing. It seems insignificant, but it's sending a message and, and it's a telltale sign of struggle in our heart. About worshiping God and, and giving ourselves to God and then, and then going and, and treating people Poorly. People we have judged to be below us or people we've judged to be wrong or different from us. And it certainly doesn't come across like Christ. See, all of this is rooted in the cross. It all comes back to the cross. As Jesus, hanging from the cross, looks down at the people who put him there those who who instigated his arrest and crucifixion and those who stood by and did nothing about it. And he says, forgive them. And he turns to the two thieves on either side of them and has compassion on them because that's who Jesus is. And he's calling us to that same life. One of the things that sets us apart as followers of Christ is that when we encounter people who disagree with us, when we encounter people who are making completely different life choices, choices that we disagree with, that we still are compassionate toward them. Even as we hold firmly to the truth of what we believe. The world is not going to be changed. Because we get our theology right, as important as that is. And the world's not going to be changed because we are so great at apologetics. The world's going to be changed because they see the loving compassion of Christ in His people. And that starts here, and it moves from here into the world. Because as someone has said, if if we don't have love, what have we got? And the calling on us as the church is to be a community of people, community of believers, who are committed to radical, revolutionary, Calvary-like love, whether people deserve it or not. because Christ because that's the way of Christ and he says to every one of us take up your cross follow me so maybe there's a person maybe there's a group of people maybe there there there's someone who are, who comes to your mind that you have to admit are hard for you to feel compassion toward Maybe the first prayer you need to pray is, Lord, make me, give me compassion for this person, this group of people. Maybe the first prayer is, Lord, help me to want to have compassion for this person or this group of people. Quite frankly, maybe the prayer, first prayer you can pray is, help me to want to want to have compassion for that person, that group of people. Wherever you need to start, God can take our start and do something amazing if we'll let him. In this moment of silence, I want us to think about a person, group of people, whomever God may put into our minds. And to pray the prayer that we need to pray about compassion. Father, thank you for your compassion to us who are so undeserving. Start us on the journey of being people who are known individually and collectively as people of compassion in the Spirit of Christ in whose name we pray. Amen.